0: Can we better understand God's mercy? Thank you for taking a moment of your time to join us in another study. Whether you're listening on the radio, you downloaded this from our website, or catching via podcast, we greatly appreciate this opportunity. These messages are part of the outreach of the Church of Christ at Ben, Arkansas. You can find out more at benchurchofchrist.org. Grace and mercy are two concepts very closely related. Grace is Favor done without expectation of anything in return, an absolute free expression of the loving kindness from God to man. From Vines' dictionary, a longer look of grace on the part of the bestower, Vines says, the friendly disposition from which the kindly act proceeds, graciousness, loving kindness, goodwill, generally, especially with reference to divine favor or grace. In this respect, There is stress on its freeness and its universality, its spontaneous character, as in the case of God's redemptive mercy, and the pleasure or joy he designs for the recipient. Typically, grace is noted as unmerited favor. Mercy, from Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, it defines it as kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted, joined with a desire to help them. Vines again, mercy is the outward manifestation of pity. It assumes need on the part of him who receives it and resources adequate to meet the need on the part of him who shows it. Mercy is the act of withholding punishment that could be deserved, while grace is the act of endowing unmerited favor. In his mercy, God does not give us the punishment we deserved, namely hell. While in his grace, he gives us the gift we do not deserve, which is heaven. So certainly there is a very close bond and relationship between grace and mercy. Well, this morning we will look at mercy and an example of mercy offered by Christ. The story is familiar to Bible students, yet it is one that has some challenges in comprehending its complexity, what lessons are taught and what lessons are not taught. Our text is from John chapter 8. Leading up into this point, Christ had been speaking of his relationship with the Father, and some attempted to, to take him at task. We read in verse number 31, though, that many of the people believed on him, and they said, when Christ cometh, will he do more miracles? than these which this man hath done, they didn't know he was Jesus. Which led to the events, starting in the next verse, John 7 and 32. The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. The people were divided on whether to accept him as Christ, the Son of God, or having him removed and imprisoned because he thought he was the Son of God. They were divided. Then starting in verse 53, we get our text, John 7 and 53. Every man went unto his own house. Then picking up in the next chapter, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought into him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted himself up and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, being at beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted himself up and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman. Where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. If you're following in your Bible, you might have noticed some italics, starting in verse 53, or perhaps an open bracket that is closed after verse 11 of the next chapter. For a number of years, this passage was questioned as to whether or not it should be included. St. Augustine comments that those of a weaker faith removed the text, thinking it might encourage adultery. It was kept in the end, though the text has added these characters to note some of the early considerations. Does this encourage adultery? This is one of the questions we want to answer. Consider for just a moment the position that Christ was in. No doubt this was the intent of the scribes and the Pharisees to get him into a spot, put him into a corner, or in a position in, when he, in which he could not give the right answer. If he were to say stoner, then he would be the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And this certainly was outside of his character, let alone outside his role as a bystander and a visitor in the temple. If he were to deny the law that this woman had apparently transgressed, well, that would make him rebellious and go against the law handed down from his father that he just spoke of. Would he be more concerned about her soul or the letter of the law? Would he ignore her sin and let her go scot-free without any payment for her debt? They had him, or so they thought. Now let's consider some of the background. When it came to the law and accusing, the process actually is pretty clear. We go back to that law in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17. Picking up in verse 6, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. The hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death and afterwards the hands of all the people. So thou shalt put the evil away from among you. And the law concerning adultery in chapter 22 of the same book, Deuteronomy. If a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband, then they shall both of them die, both the man that lay with the woman and the woman. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel? Worth noting is that only one part of the two were present, just the woman, not the other half of the act. So two or three witnesses, check. Caught in adultery, check. The witnesses cast the first stones, then the remainder afterwards. This appeared to be what was coming next. This act, as, as we need to note, adultery. Commentators say this was among the most looked down sin of the time. Certainly rather different than today. Even as a student in high school back in the 80s, we read the book called The Scarlet Letter. The letter A that the woman had to wear representing her act of adultery. Now, Good luck finding that in a school library today as it has it is among the many that has been deemed offensive and immoral. I, I digress, but that did come to mind. Before we move on, we introduce one more bit of the law, and that is regarding false witnesses, someone that would falsely accuse another. And again, we read two or three witnesses a moment ago. This too is covered just in case. Deuteronomy chapter 19. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity, for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth. At the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall the matter be established. It's stated again. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priest, and the judges which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and have testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother." so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more such evil among you. So there's that law against false witnesses. So we have the case played out. But friends, this is not court. Christ is not the judge. He was put into a position as though he were the judge What should we do with her? If you want justice, the weight of the law is the following. Take her to where the law is weighed, if that is the case. And that is in court, not in the temple. They brought her to Jesus in the middle of the temple. The writers of the law, the scribes, knowing the law, word for word, letter for letter, and the Pharisees, the lawyers of the time, if you will, were those present along with some onlookers, witnesses were also there, and they caught her in the very act. Most interesting indeed, but that is the statement that is made. Now, Christ's response is of interest as well. John 8, 6. They said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued to ask him, he lifted himself up and said unto him, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. That's the modern equivalent of checking Facebook or Instagram on your cell phone when someone is engaged in a conversation with you. The text even says he was ignoring them as though he didn't hear. Certainly, his level of concern was not near their level of concern. Also recall verse number two, there was an audience and all the people came unto him and he sat down. And taught them. So there was a crowd. He stooped down, ignoring them, and then stood up. He that is without sin, let him cast the first stone, and then stooped back down. I think we would call that a modern mic dropped. John chapter 8. And they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Could it be that Christ knew their hearts? Possibly. Could it be that he knew her heart? Again, quite possible. This same group of people, not necessarily the same individuals, but the same group, had the attention of Paul in Romans, where he accuses in Romans chapter 2, Therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment. For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. Listen to what he says. For you who judge practice the same things. While it might be a stretch, it is not beyond the possibility that some of those accusers were guilty of the same crime. And let's not forget that sentence about false witnesses. They left, beginning with the oldest, the wisest, as some say, Perhaps the guiltiest, as others might say. But the accusers left the assembly, passed the audience, out the door, leaving this woman in Christ the center of attention. Christ rising from the floor after the accusers gone, where did they go? He lifted himself up, saw none but the woman, and said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? No man, Lord, Jesus said, neither condemned I thee. Mercy. Mercy. Kindness or goodwill toward the miserable and the afflicted joined with the desire to help them. Vines again is the outward manifestation of pity. This is a vivid example of mercy. But one thing that is most important that accompanies the acceptance of mercy. Repentance. Christ did not end with the statement of neither do I condemn thee. He added go sin." No more. We know nothing else of the accusers or this woman after the event. But this lesson gives us a number of things to learn and the image of mercy above all others. A God of grace, a God of mercy for a people that is willing to go sin no more. The prophet Isaiah spoke, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow And though they be red like crimson, they shall become as wool. Mercy of our beloved God. Our time is gone. We thank you very much for joining us and look forward to visiting with you next week at this time. Until then, we bid you a very blessed day.